big thing whenever you watch like movies or um, like coming of age dramas or anything like that. There's a big deal about like a person's first kiss or a first this or a first that. Well, for me, that was something I never got to experience for myself because it was taken from me. As a child, I had been told what incorrect touch was and not what, yeah, genuine touch of love was. At 20 past seven, as we were going down the road, um, a guy was di driving dangerously, I suppose, crossed the central reservation and, and head, uh, hit us head on. And uh, air ambulances were called and uh, I had been, uh, I was the only one left in the car that was conscious. I noticed my mum and James arrive and James sort of jumped in the back of the ambulance with me and, and I said to him, I don't feel the baby anymore. However, my dad, he didn't make the accident. Um, the years going past, I had to deal with the anger I had with God, the anger I had with my dad for leaving, which seems like it doesn't make sense, but it did to me, um, and the very real anger I had towards the man that took my dad's life. Some people, when they're in depression, some people, when they feel like they want to take their life, um, it's a call for help. Well, for me, I'd got past that point, and it was an intention. Uh, I made a plan. And um, I took um, a really large overdose. There is nothing more isolating and lonely um, and hard than the pits of depression. If we in any way can relieve that in somebody else or we can find help while we're in that moment, do it. Because life is too short. Hello and welcome back to episode two of Life Uncovered, where we're going to be interviewing Katie. We're going to be seeing a little bit about Katie's life. But before we get on to the nitty gritty and we get into the different those different things, what I want to do is start off the podcast uh, by doing a, a little segment I like to call, and we're going to probably do this in other podcasts as well, is Get to Know Your Guest. Um, so this is Katie. How are you doing? You all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. good. Uh, so we're going to do some quick fire questions. Uh, so they're quick fire, so we'll go bang, bang, bang and okay. go through them. Uh, but if I want to elaborate, I'll uh, I'll I'll go on to that. Right. So, question number one: What was your first job? Uh, I used to help in a swimming pool, help little kids how to swim. First job. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, what is your favourite month? Oh, January. January. Why? Yeah, it's my birthday. It's your birthday. Uh, what is your favourite animal? Oh, dog. Why dog? dog? Well, I would say like an elephant because I find them really interesting. But a dog, like a dog, have a dog, see it every day. Yeah. If so you could have, have a pet elephant, would you? No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I used to get called Dumbo in primary school because my ears. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have a love hate relationship with yeah. elephants. Um, but anyway, who is your hero? Oh, my mum. Your mum. Yeah. And why is your mum your hero? Um, because she's she always puts everybody else before herself, and she. It's very caring, sort of holds everything together for everybody. Um, yeah, she's mm. just a really lovely person. That's a good reason for your mum to be a hero. My mum and dad are my heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get past the cheesiness from myself. <laughs> uh, if you had to change your first name, what would you change it to? Oh, why? that's really difficult. Um, first name pops in your head. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I'd know. go Boris. Boris. <laughs> Boris. Don't know why. Boris. First name popped in my head. Yeah. You have to give me a second. Oh, should I give you one? Yeah, go on then. Uh, 
uh, Rochelle. Rochelle, yeah. there you go. Rochelle. <laughs> so there you go. Um, what has been your favourite age in yeah. life so far? I think it would be now. Now? Now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah now. Yeah. You don't have to reveal your age, but this age right here, yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the age that I am, but I like the time that I'm in right now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> uh, and last quick fire question. What is your hidden talent? Oh, I don't know. Not really. Sure. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm one of those people who sort of found it yet. Like, so are you just, sure? Yeah, just, positive. Yeah. So you don't think woodwork might be your? Well, uh... I give it a go, but I don't think you could say I have a natural talent there. I just, just try. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. So now you might know a little bit more about Katie from those quick fire questions. Um, what we're going to do now, Katie, is go through some would you rather questions. All yeah. right. Now these are going to be weird and wonderful. A little bit like me. Just yeah. a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> would you rather? Have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? 150 years, yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, that's a really stupid question, isn't it? Because why would you want to see 10 minutes into the future? Yeah. Over? If it's, t- it's 10 years or 150 years, I'd say 10 years. Let's change the question. Yeah. Would you rather uh, see 150 years into the, uh, to the past or oh, okay. 150 years into the future? Into the future, definitely. Into the future. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd agree with that one. I'd agree with that one. Because why would you want to go back and see what's already happened? Well, I suppose if you go back, you see where you're from. But if you go forward, you see what you made. So. True. That's true. Oh, I don't know what I'd do, actually. Mm. Anyway, uh, I'd probably go into the future as well. Uh, would you rather have telekinesis? I had to read that. So that's the ability to move things with your mind. Okay. Or te- tel- um, tele... Telepathy, I think that's how you say it. Right. The ability to read minds. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. The read minds. One, yeah, yeah. I think I'd love to just move things with my mind, because if I'm just sat there and I want a pick and mix, or I'm sat there <laughs> and I want something, I can just come to me. Yeah, but think about it. Like you'd be able to get yourself into some funny situations if someone was thinking something about you and they didn't want you to know, and you were able to reply to them. That would be quite funny. It's it? true, but what if every person you met thought of all the insecurities that you have? about yourself and they're thinking those same things oh dear it'll be time for new friends <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's what i thought what what happens if the people that you actually love and think love you actually in their brain they don't they're just using you oh dear anyway that's very that's very sad <laughs> it's very sad thought, isn't it maybe it just reveals what's going on in my head now i'm joking uh I, yeah i think i'd rather uh, move things in my mind would you rather be chronically underdressed or chronically overdressed at an event? Underdressed. Underdressed. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I agree. Even if I was off to see the king, I'd rather yeah. be underdressed. Because yeah. he'd still look at you. Well, <laughs> no, maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> would you rather lose your sight or lose your memories? Oh, sight. Sight. Yeah, I'd yeah. agree with that one. Um, would you rather have a mullet haircut? Oh, no. Or a ponytail haircut? Ponytail. Ponytail. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the mullet. Mm, I think I could rock a ponytail, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could. You can have a man bun. Yeah, I could have a man bun. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd have it nice and long. Yeah, would you keep the curly bit at the front if you had a man yeah, bun? Yeah, <laughs> keep, keep the curly bit there and then just have a long ponytail there. That would be funny. I might do that now. There you I go. Might do Sorry, it. Hannah. Yeah, I'm not sure what she would think. <laughs> um, would you rather chew your toenails off oh. or would you rather chew someone else's fingernails off? Oh. And you couldn't choose the person's fingernails. So it could be like someone who's got really nice fingernails or it could be someone who uh, scratches like 
the leg or the bum with the fingernails and then you've got, uh, so it's either I think that or you lose toenails. both ways but I think I'd have to go for my own toes yeah because you know where your toes have been yeah you can wash them first mm. <laughs> but my toes aren't the best yeah. I play football so I've got, yeah anyway yeah. we won't go into my disgusting toenails uh, would you rather this is similar to the other one um, but would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors or go into the future to meet your great grandchildren oh great grandchildren great grandchildren hmm I'd quite like to meet my ancestors. After the other podcast with Dad, it'd be quite like it'd be nice to be a fly on the wall and to see them yeah. what they were like before. Yeah, but you might find you you might find they're just a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might just uh, I think I actually don't like these people. Well, they might just be a little bit kooky, mightn't they? Yeah, that's you true. never know. Yeah. But then I suppose it'd explain explain your own behaviour. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It probably would. Yeah, so I probably already know what they're like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so last question before we get into uh, the rest of the podcast. Uh, you're on death row. Yeah. Right. You have done something. Uh, you've done some heinous crime. You're on death row. What is your last meal before your execution? It would have to be lasagna and chips. Maybe some garlic bread on the Ooh, side. Lasagna Good lasagna, chips. yeah. Lasagna and chips with some garlic bread. That's what that. If I go to a pub and get a pub meal, I go to a restaurant. Yeah. That's that always. Yeah, that's usually my, my staple. Fancy. Unless yeah. unless I'm trying to like challenge myself to try something new, mm. and then it could be very disappointing. So it's yeah. better to go for lasagna. I think now listen to this for a death row meal. Okay, I would have a McDonald's wrap, oh. um, <laughs> a McFlurry from McDonald's, yeah. and a, a large Fanta. I would have popcorn chicken from KFC. Um, I would have probably some lasagna. This is a meal. It's a yeah, feast because yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah. die. So um, this isn't obviously a real situation. I haven't committed any heinous crimes just yet um and then i would have a candy king pick a mix fair enough and the chicken breast don't know why there you go that's what i'm feeling right now yeah i'd have to disagree with the mcdonald's wrap really yeah not even a wrap of the day like a no no chicken and bacon no, barbecue nice wrap burger but not a wrap no, no. Mm. well there you go that's the end of the get to know your guest segment so um maybe you've got to know katie maybe you've got to know me in a really weird way um but there you go uh, so just before uh we we get into the nitty-gritty stuff would you be able to just give us a real brief uh introduction to to who you are uh but also your upbringing so uh, who you grew up with you know how many people you've got in your family etc yeah yeah so um i grew up in colchester not very far from here um I've got I had uh, my mum, my dad, and uh, a younger sister and a younger brother, mm-hmm. um, and we always had a dog. We always had a family dog, um, and I went to um, what is now Colchester Academy, but it used to be called Sir Charles Lucas or mm. Charlie Lou for anyone that went. Very good, yeah. very good. When did you become a Christian? Can you um, well, to a point? yeah, I suppose it's like a, a character flaw of mine is that I don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. So I was pretty rebellious in a sense, and. Uh, I really didn't like it. I didn't like the God stuff. I didn't like um, being 
just didn't like being told. Um, and I remember as I was growing up, I remember looking at my younger sister and she always had such a strong faith and never seemed to really question it. And I used to think, oh, isn't that lovely for her? But it's just not for me. Um, I remember telling my parents at some point, you know, I'm done with all this God stuff. Stop telling me about it. Um, I'm not going to church anymore. And my parents were really good. Like God was a choice in our house. He wasn't like a, he wasn't something that was forced upon us. Um, and so I remember my dad saying to me, oh, that's up to you. It's up to you. But um, he said, I can guarantee you'll be back. Mm. And I was so cross to that. because I was like, don't you tell me what I'll be like. Um, but it, yeah, it wasn't long. But I, I needed to go through a period of questioning. I think some people find it easier just to accept, you know, what they're told. And some of us more annoying people, I suppose, really need to grapple with it and wrestle with it. And yeah, um, yeah for me, uh, I didn't. I didn't see a need for God in my life. And to be quite honest, I didn't really believe it. I thought it was a lovely story that my parents could tell us, but mm-hmm. um, I just didn't see how I fitted that into that sort of lifestyle. And yeah. so I suppose I was thinking, oh, well, I'll live this way while my parents are looking and I'll do whatever I want whenever they're not. And sorry, mum, she's probably <laughs> listening to this, but um, yeah, so that, that was sort of me, I suppose. So um, yeah, so I got to a point where I was maybe about 12 years old and um so in my life we had this lovely we had this lovely family and on the outside and actually in with us everything was great but things were going on in the background that I didn't have a voice really to talk about and so maybe that was actually impacting me a lot I think I um you know there was certain aspects of my life I didn't get a choice over I had nothing to do with my parents or um, my immediate family um but there were things that happened to me that I had no control over. And mm. I think maybe I felt like an unclean person, maybe like a dirty person. And I felt like I was ashamed of, of myself and who I was because I couldn't quite understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So for me, I created a gap between me and God. Um, and I couldn't understand why anybody would want me, let alone what God that God would want me. Uh, so it, it took me, you know, quite a a while to sort of get my head around the fact that someone might love me um so when I was about 12 my mum got really sick and I think I faced like the reality for the first time that that life isn't guaranteed um and it was in that sort of moment when uh I was the the idea was raised that at 12 years old I might lose my mum that Mm. I started searching for for what why, what meaning life had um, and it was in that moment that I started actually having a go at God um, which probably isn't a great thing to admit I don't know but um, I, used, I, I was so mad with him and the situation that I was in that actually mm. what I didn't realise is in that anger I had to believe that he was there to be angry at him right. so um, I yeah I just started talking to him really expressing that I was unhappy I was angry and and asking him to prove that he was real and yeah. and God really did that so it started a process in my life that actually went on for more than than just mm-hmm. you know just an instance but um at, at 12 years old I really believe that God started to prove to me that he was real mm-hmm. um and I'm still pretty ashamed to admit it now it took me a long long time to actually realize that my life would be so much better if I just let him into it. Um, I needed, to, I experienced a lot of things that I didn't necessarily need to experience before mm. coming to the realization that God knew what was best for me. If you feel comfortable uh, yeah. talking about those things, would yeah. you be able to maybe talk about some of the things that happened to you, which made you feel that way, made you feel yeah. 
as though there that you couldn't be loved by yeah. uh, anyone you couldn't be loved by god you couldn't be loved by anyone yeah. walk us through what happened to you yeah so like without going into it too too much um i suppose mm. like a big thing whenever you watch like movies or um like coming of age dramas or anything like mm-hmm. that there's a big deal about like a person's first kiss or a first this or a first that well for me that was something i never got to experience for myself because it was taken from me um and choices were made for me that if i had all the information that i had as an adult um i would have known were wrong and weren't you know, what I should have experienced. Um, and I think as well, now knowing if my parents have had any idea of that, um, would have broken them and they would have, you know, said to me, absolutely, this is wrong. Um, but I sort of internalised it. I thought, well, this is this great big secret I need to carry. And if anybody knew about it, then they would think I was a, a, a dirty person and a shameful person. Um, I certainly wasn't going to tell my parents because I wanted them to love me, you know, mm. and... Uh, it's now I look back I find that really sad because I think if only I had said something to my parents I would have understood how great their love for me was and how that wouldn't have changed but if anything that love would have saved me mm-hmm. from from that situation so that yeah that was sort of the situation that I was in um and it took me actually I didn't actually realize what that stuff was that had gone on in my past I just thought that this was something that that I was I was wrong for um, and carried sort of this burden, this weight on my shoulders until I was about 18 when I actually did a counselling course myself and how to look to look after someone, how to, to spot these things that might have happened to somebody. And I remember on the screen came up, how do you, you uh, recognise signs of abuse? And as I was going down this list of things you could look out for or, or things that were clearly wrong, I remember just looking down this list and going hang on a minute, hang on a minute, no, 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 that's not, no, no, uh, you know, and I got to the bottom of that list and I was I was in a mess by the time I got to the end of the list because I realised what had happened to me and, and for the first time in my life I realised um, that when I had sort of prayed to God and said for him to make me, you know, to, 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 to forgive me for the, the shame and all that, I realised why I had never felt that was because God had always said to me it wasn't your shame to carry mm. um and it did it did a really big thing in my life Re- I really sort of understood for the first time that God did love me and that anything that had happened to me in my past was because of the broken world that we live in mm. um and that God was with me in everything that had gone on so it was just quite a big moment for me really um and it was quite a massive moment for me then to be able to go home and talk to my family about that and to sort of gain back what I had lost all those years of of, of feeling like unlovable and mm-hmm. you know tell us a little bit how um that impacted you you know you, you've talked a little bit about it but if you feel comfortable talk about it a little bit more of um how that sort of impacted your childhood um, yeah. you've mentioned to me before that you weren't necessarily a, a happy child a bubbly child yeah. or had quite a sad um, upbringing which sort of not upbringing but a sad yeah. yes um yeah unthinkable um things that you went through led to you maybe not being as having the childhood that you should have had yeah. and the relationship with your parents that you should have had yeah. um talk us through a little bit of 
uh, how it impacted your relationship with your family. Yeah, I, I remember quite a few times my parents sort of sitting down with me and saying to me, you know, why are you so sad? You know, why are you, are you struggling with this and that? I mean, um, as a, a teenager, I hated myself. I hated the body that God had given me. I hated, I, I, as I said, like, I couldn't understand why anybody would love me because I didn't, certainly mm. didn't love me. And you were, um, I guess you were carrying things as well, which no child should ever have to... yeah sort of carry and it's, it's probably hard for you to understand the things that happened because they're things that children shouldn't yeah understand i guess yeah yeah mm. now being a parent myself and looking at my own children and thinking like at your age i carried this i I've, i'm horrified by that mm. um and i remember my parents saying to me you know you're loved you you're safe like why why are you so sad like i had i grew up as a teenager with real body Im image issues and struggled with eating disorders and, and self-harm and, and various things. And I remember my parents just saying, I, I, we just don't understand this. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't explain to them mm -hmm. because I couldn't understand myself. Yeah. Um, and I used to think, well, I must be so undeserving of love because they're saying I'm loved, but I don't feel it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't understand. So when I was then 18 and able to go home and say, mum and dad, this happened like to watch the aftermath of that was quite was quite was very sad it's mm. probably an understatement to see how hurt that made my parents that that, they, that this had gone on and they had no idea all this time but for me it was such a point of healing because I was safe like mm. for the first first time I felt safe like my parents really stepped in and were like no like you know we're gonna make this better we are we're here for for the first time we understood each other, I think, and they understood why I was the way I was, and I understood why they had struggled so much to get through to me because they had only ever loved me and wanted that relationship with me that was good. And I suppose as a child, I had been told what incorrect touch was mm -hmm. and not what genuine, um, uh, yeah, genuine touch of love was. Mm -hmm. So. I was the child that didn't want to hug or didn't want to kiss and didn't want to be touched. So I had to relearn and still have to relearn mm -hmm. what positive touch is. So I, I, I gained my family really mm -hmm. back. And although I, I honestly say I had such a lovely childhood with my my core family, um, after that point, I had the best relationship with them because we were able to heal from a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had a period there where um you had a real sort of close-knit yeah. family unit what would you say to someone maybe watching or listening who has maybe faced something similar uh, to yourself what advice would you give them um indeed in in uh ex in uh being open to talk to people about what has what has happened to you um a couple of things really um in the darkest of times when things have felt so horrendous mm. that that all you can manage is tears um, or there's no one you can actually speak to about it, um, I'd like to remem remind people that the Bible tells us that every tear that we shed, that the God who created the entire world and created you knows every single one of them and they are important and matter to him. And to me, that was an incredible moment when I realised that, that that every one of those moments were not only as big a deal to him as they were to me, but he cared so much that he knew each tear. Mm. So to remind them that 
that that is the God that wants to know them too. Um, and and again, the, the next thing is we can look to this world to tell us whether we're lovable, um, and the world will give us certain. Uh, it will, the world will give us certain reasons why we're lovable, mm. uh, but God will always say, "I love you because I love you." End of. Um, and so, if you're ever struggling to understand or to know why anybody would love you, the the perfect one to go to is God, because He He made love. He is love, mm-hmm. um, and His love has no ifs or buts, mm. um, which I found quite incredible too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And around this time, uh, you met James. Is that right? Did you meet James around this time? A little bit later. Yeah, a little yeah. bit later. Uh, tell us then a little bit how uh, how you met James. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as I said, like I come from the background that I did, where I didn't know um, what was was good touch, what was good love in in a sense, and, and until I had sort of worked that out with my family. But um, James was God knew what he was doing when he brought me James because James was very black and white and straight down the line and I remember him saying to me he came to me and said you know um you know I I think I think that I really like you and I remember being quite shocked at his sort of abruptness and and he said to me um but I'm not willing to mess around so uh I want you to go away and I want you to pray and I want you to ask God if if I if I'm your future husband uh, because I, I'm not going to mess around and be silly. Like I, w- I want a relationship that heads to marriage. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, go away and pray. And in three months time, because I was away on a three month placement, he said, I'll, I'll get in contact with you again. And if, if God has said to you that, that, that I am the right person for you, then, then we'll start seeing mm-hmm. each other. And what did um, you think when he, when he said that, when to he me? said all that to you? Um, I think I was just blown away by his forwardness yeah. uh, at first um, and probably didn't realise just how much that worked for me because mm-hmm. here was a person who had had everything taken from there from her mm. and then suddenly there was this guy who respected me so much that he wasn't willing to take even an hour of my time before knowing that that's what God wanted mm. of him. So I remember going away and, and having a process of... Because I just really... I really wanted to meet someone. I really wanted to to fall in love and get married um, and have a family. That was like a dream I'd had always had, mm. um, and I never thought it was possible because I could never, I could never really commit to anything like that, um, and and believe that someone else would want to commit to me like that. Um, so I went away and really prayed about it for a few weeks, and I remember God took me to a point where um, I was praying with praying and, and saying, God, you know how much I want this but I don't want it if you don't want it. And I, I got to a point where I said, God, I, I, I give to you the idea of ever wanting to be someone's wife um, and you can have it. Mm. And if you want to give it back to me, that's your choice. But but I'm happy being by myself with you. Mm-hmm. you know. And um, the very next day, James had sent me a message and said, um, I really feel that God has, has laid it on my heart to say to you that, that this is right. Um, and I was so taken back that it took me a whole day to respond to the message. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that day, I was, I was sure I knew. Um, and then I often wind James up about this. He, he, took, he picked me up to take me on uh, our first date. And he said, I have a few things I need to tell you. Um, he won't like me telling this story. So <laughs> he'll tell me I'm telling it wrong. But he said, um, there's a few things I want to tell you. Um, until I'm willing to marry you, I won't, won't tell you that I love you. And I won't kiss you until I'm ready to put a ring on your finger. 
Um, and to me, the respect of that was so, so it was just so new to me. And I don't think I realised at that point how much I had needed that from someone, the safety of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we went we went on a few dates for a few weeks and uh, I, we were sitting at McDonald's and James has, said to me, um, you know how I said I wouldn't tell you I loved you until I was ready to marry you? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I love you. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to propose to me at McDonald's, <laughs> um, which he didn't. But, oh, um, good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were we knew pretty quickly, and I know that relationships work different for everyone. Yeah, and yeah. I would I would never encourage someone to to rush through a relationship unless mm-hmm. you feel that it was what God wanted for you. But uh, within a, f- a few months, we had we knew that 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 this was going to end in marriage for mm-hmm. us, um, and that God wanted us to serve Him together in ministry. Mm-hmm. So within couple of months we had bought an engagement ring six months we were engaged and then mm. a year later we were married yeah so you got married at the end of james's time at bible college at the, the end of his second year and then we were married through his third year because it was a placement year so and then you got moved down to suffolk yeah back so, down to your sort yeah. of where you were yeah. Raised. Yeah. So when I went off to Bible college, um, there was a verse in the Bible that really spoke to me, and it was Luke nine sixty two. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is of no use to the kingdom of God. And I really felt in that moment that God was saying to me, "You've got to leave it all, and and follow me." And I felt in that moment I had to sacrifice living with my family. Mm. I had to sacrifice all these dreams and desires I had for the future. And that must um, have been really tough because. You'd yeah. reached a point in your life where you had sort of had that relationship, yeah, such a an even closer relationship with your family after, yeah. you know, knowing the things that you'd you'd gone through and yeah. to get, hand that back over to God and be like, yeah. you know, if I'm not to go back home, then that's okay. Yeah. Uh, was that was that was really, really tough? It was such a wrench for me. Yeah, I was always really close to my siblings, and I'm not really quite sure my brother's ever forgiven me for leaving <laughs> that young. Um, but yeah, it's, to hand that back to God was one of the hugest things I could have done because it was like it was it was saying you come first, um, and it was an incredible moment for me in what it has given me in return mm-hmm. because I don't think God ever takes something away, you know, and 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 doesn't um, give you a joy in what he has asked you to do it's not easy sometimes it's incredibly difficult but I wouldn't have wanted to live a different life because I would have missed out on the Mm -hmm. opportunity to know him Mm -hmm. um so yeah so then when we got married and we were asked to go back to where my family were I couldn't believe it I thought this can't possibly be true God Mm -hmm. has asked me to leave it and it was like he'd asked me to leave it and then given it back to me knowing that it had its rightful place in my life Mm -hmm. And discovering that you um, were expecting as well, how was mm. that? Uh, how full of joy were you? Yeah. Were you then at that time? Um, I suppose up until the point when I'd met James, not a whole lot had gone right for me in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of the only dreams I'd ever really, really been passionate about was was being a wife and a mum. Mm. And uh, I I never knew or never believed I would ever get that. So then to f- finally hear that I was ex- expect uh, that was just incredible to me. I was like, this is, I- I'd lived my life always feeling like I was losing everything that I loved. Mm. And then finally, here was something that I'd always dreamed about and I was ge- being given. It felt too good to be true almost. So you're, um, you're down in Suffolk. 
your your near your family yeah. uh, you've you're starting your own family starting ministry yeah. uh, and you have seemed to have such a close relationship uh with with your family with your family unit can you uh tell us how many years that went on for until um the sort of real tragic moment that happened uh, in your life and in your family how many years did you have that sort of harmony for yeah so i told my parents and we sort of started to to fix everything around 18 19 sort of turning 19 and uh everything changed in my first year of marriage so we didn't even get one year of marriage um and i was 22 uh so james and i moved in the december mm-hmm uh yeah in the december moved in the december and uh, i lost my dad in the february two months mm-hmm. so um yeah and it was out of the blue out of nowhere um it was a car accident that was pretty horrific um mm. i was i was in that accident as well while pregnant with my little girl um and yeah period of let's say eight hours and my whole life changed yeah mm. So. Uh, if you feel comfortable, would you be yeah. able to um, tell us a little bit more about th- that uh, incident and yeah. and and what what happened? Yeah. So um, my my dad had this love for boot sales. I don't know if everyone would understand what a boot sale is, um, mm. but uh, when you start to explain it, it, you sort of think, "Oh no, why is this something that we would love?" But um, mm. so early on a Saturday morning, you get up. You go off to a boot sale where everybody is selling their mm. their unloved items. That's one just down the road, isn't there? Yeah, just down the road. Yeah. You get yourself a great bargain. You go home, show everyone your bargain. It's yeah. great. Uh, so as a family, we had this love for boot sales. And for some strange reason, getting up early on a Saturday morning, we would go to the boot sale and then we would go and share, have a breakfast, you know, yeah. McDonald's. And uh, and it was, just, it was just a time to just be with each other. That was really mm. what it was all about. So anyway... Uh, one particular Saturday morning, um, James and I had stayed over at my parents' house so that I could go for this boot sale. And uh, we woke up in the morning and I said to James, are you sure you don't want to come? And he was like, oh, no, well, you know, um, it's like seven o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> so we said goodbye and uh, left. And I remember as I was about to leave the house, I heard my parents giggling in the bedroom. Um, my dad had said something funny and my mum thought it was hilarious and they were laughing. And, and then he said something like, you know, see you later, love. And and he'd gone out to the car and I'd come running out after because I was always a bit late. Um, so that was seven o'clock and at, at 20 past seven as we were going down the road, um, a guy uh, was, uh, was, was di- driving dangerously, I suppose, crossed the central reservation and, and head, uh, hit us head on in the car, me and my dad my granddad and my sister and uh i knew as soon as it was happening that it was bad but i suppose your mind sort of you don't like to i suppose accept that bad things may be happening but any anyway um he hit their car sort of head on and uh as as the car was was spinning and we were on sort of a, a pretty major road um and the the car was heading towards a verge and I, I just remember see it like it must have been in seconds because the car was you know was really um flying and uh as we were turning I could see that the ver- the car was coming down to hit the verge on my side and sort of braced for impact and I, I watched as my dad pulled the steering wheel down and the car turned um and uh took, he took the impact so 
Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, when, when uh, it was, it was just one of those moments in your life that changes you. Um, mm. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, in, it was a, a huge moment in our lives, and uh, air ambulances were called, and uh, I had been. Uh, I was the only one left in the car that was conscious um, and I was sort of trying to face, trying to deal with all of this. And I think still at that moment, I had this belief, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. This can't possibly end in any other way than us being fine. Like, we're the Stevenses, we'll be fine. We're always fine. Everything always goes wrong and we're always fine. Um, So I remember, like, the fire brigade were cutting us out of the car and... um, uh, and we were trying to sort of talk to everyone and arouse everybody. And I, I knew that things were bad with my dad and my granddad. My dad, uh, my granddad was uh, trying to work out now. He was 82, so uh, he wouldn't like me saying this now, but he was, he was pretty old. Um, <laughs> and uh, m- my dad, he was only 49, and we would have all been winding him up about the fact that he was about to turn the big 50. And what were we going to do? We were really excited more than he was because we could just spend the time winding him up you know um and so I was very conscious afterwards that I was carrying this baby and I didn't know uh whether whether she was okay and so we were put in the back of the ambulances and we were told that my dad and my granddad would be airlifted to various hospitals um and that when we arrived to the hospital we were going to that a trauma team would be waiting for us and um as as I was waiting in the back of the ambulance there, I, I noticed my mum and James arrive and James sort of jumped in the back of the ambulance with me and, and I said to him, I don't feel the baby anymore. Um, so we managed to, we got to the hospital at that point and at that point for me, the focus was on baby and, you know, making sure uh, that she was okay. And incredibly, she was um the doctor said she was probably just a bit stunned um it's probably the only time she's been stunned into silence since she's been born (laughs) um but she will always be my miracle child because like uh how do you explain it really um she she was uh, a joy that was given to us in the time of immense sadness yeah so within that day uh, my dad and my granddad had been airlifted to different hospitals for different specialities and um my granddad ended up spending six weeks in intensive care he'd uh, 18 separate breaks in his rib cage uh, three in his arm pins everywhere and they they said they would be surprised if he'd ever walk again let alone breathe um by himself uh, six weeks later, he was uh, discharged from uh, intensive care and into an, another ward. And after a good few months in hospital, uh, a year later, he walked back into the room that he had almost died in um, months before. Uh, and everyone clapped him because he just couldn't believe that this 82-year-old man had walked back into the room. Um, but for him, there were lasting effects of that accident that would uh, eventually take his life uh, a few mm. years later um uh, so granddad was fine I, I was fine my sister was okay um and uh, however my dad he didn't make the accident um so when we were on the way to the hospital to see my dad and i was still believing that everything was going to be okay um i was p- 
praying and I was messaging people to pray and I texted Stephen and Cynthia and I said um, what was happening and Cynthia responded by saying I pray that God gives you a peace that makes no sense in this situation mm. and before I'd read that text I, I can't explain to you I can't tell you you know what it was but this this overwhelming sense of peace had filled my heart and I thought to myself and I was praying as well at the same time, God, it must, it's all going to work out. It's going to be fine because I just feel this peace that everything's going to be okay. Mm. Um, and when we arrived at the hospital, my mum sat me down and said, your dad's gone to be with Jesus. And I remember reading then through that text that Cynthia had sent me and I checked the time on the text and the time that my dad had gone to be with Jesus was the time I had given, been given that peace. Mm. So in those, all of this situation, God was so clearly in our lives and in our family that it made literally no sense to everybody else, the peace that, that he had given us um, and the love that we experienced from him. Would I go and do it again? Absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> um, but to have lived through that and experienced God in that was pretty incredible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, as I said, we left the house at, at seven o'clock in the morning and we arrived back at the house at about eight o'clock at night after saying goodbye. Um, um, and that probably for me, uh, as I said earlier, there were points in my life where... I questioned God and couldn't believe, you know, uh, all of the things that I'd kind of gone through up until this point. I finally got my life together and then here we were and I didn't understand it and I was angry. And if people ask me, I often say that it was probably the biggest challenge to my faith that I've ever experienced and hope to ever experience in the future. I can't really explain the anger that I felt. Mm. Um, I felt so, <laughs> I, I, how else to put it apart? I don't know how else to put it apart from duped. I felt like um, I'd finally got like all my, my life sorted. I'd finally got to a place where I was happy for mm. the first time in my life. Um, and it had been torn apart and I could not understand the reason for it. I like answers, I like order, I like uh, control. And in a situation like this, I couldn't control a thing. Mm. Um, I was pregnant and trying my best to keep my baby safe and happy um, while my life was falling apart. And then within, so we lost him in the February and in the June they placed this baby girl in my arms and said, you're a mum now, you need to mm. look after her, you need to be safe place for her. And it wasn't safe place for me. Mm. So it was a really, really tr hard uh, time. Uh, lots of things then went on, went wrong. So as I said, the the accident was caused by a guy just recklessly driving. Mm. Um, he was younger than I was, um, had no real reason for what he had done, what he had done. Um, and then we had the whole court case thing go through. Um, had to w wait two years, really, to see anything done. 
Um, and then we sat in the court as uh, they gave him uh, four years for taking my dad's life. Um, and then that four years, it would be two, uh, he'd get two for good behaviour. And one out of those two years, he would get one in an open prison. So he'd get two years in prison for ending my dad's life at 49. Um, and his argument was that he shouldn't, he shouldn't have to serve any time because he had a daughter who needed him. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the anger from that, that probably as well added to the whole thing. So yeah, <laughs> then in the, <clears throat> the years going past, I had to deal with the anger I had with God, the anger I had with my dad for leaving, which seems like it doesn't make sense, but it did to me. Mm -hmm. um, and the very real anger I had towards the man that took my dad's life. And I was of the opinion that you sort of push it down mm. and you have a stiff upper lip and you pretend to everybody else that everything is fine and you fall apart at home. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't even tell your husband about that because, you know, he, you know, he's got, we've got ministry to do. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the wife of a preacher and um, nobody needs to know that I'm angry at God. Which is also um, a very British response, isn't yeah, it? A stiff very, up, upper lip and yeah. to get on with things. But Yeah, and I remember people saying to you, like, I don't know how you're doing this. And I'd be like, I'm not doing this. Mm. But I wasn't going to tell them that. Yeah. And I think people found me maybe a scary person in the sense of, like, how do we speak to this person? Mm. And so I, people, I, I remember watching people, like noticing me coming and running the opposite direction trying mm. to sort of get away from what could be an awkward conversation I suppose um and uh, it, it was just it was a really really intense part of my life um and I just decided I'm gonna carry on I'm gonna do in my life what I wanted to achieve and I'm not gonna let this hold me back and inside I was dying mm. and inside um I was so angry with the world. I was angry for being here. And I remember when I was having Susie, um, my little girl, I remember thinking to myself um, when I was pregnant with her, I have three months, four months where I have to keep myself safe for this baby. And then when she's out, then I don't have to be here anymore. Um, and then the moment I met her and realized somebody needed me more than I would ever comprehend, it gave me a reason to live, mm. but it wasn't for me, it was some for somebody else. So I carried on that way. And we had another child um, who healed my heart a little bit more. And then I had another child who did the same. And we had three young children within three years. Um, and they were an incredible joy in my life. And anybody who's a parent will know, um, are um, <laughs> an incredibly difficult part of your life too. Um, and when my third was born, cracks started to appear in the person I had become. Mm -hmm. I was someone who controlled everything externally because internally there was no control. You know, I was, I was in, I was in ministry with my husband and trying to support him in his work while not feeling I could tell anybody else what was going on in my life because I, w I didn't want to jeopardize what people would think of him or me or mm. um 
And I didn't know how to rescue the relationship I had with God. I didn't know how to process all these feelings. And then when my third came along, I was so used to controlling every aspect of the children to keep them safe and to keep them away from this big bad world that had taken everything from me. Mm. Um, and then he got sick and people were saying to me, it's possible meningitis. And there was nothing I could do about that. And all of a sudden this sort of, I suppose, facade of being able to control everything started to crack and I realised that it didn't matter how hard I tried to protect the people I loved, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that started for me a long, uh, very big mental break um, that apparently would have come out at any time, mm -hmm. but was a time where then where it came because there's only uh, so long you can pretend you can pretend that things yeah. are okay and um yeah i guess that's holding on to something so big like that can only last so long yeah. um and trying to hold together um you know having free kids and a family and all the things that yeah. are going on around you it wasn't, yeah. Y you needed someone, didn't you? You needed yeah. someone to, yeah, uh, to speak to. Not necessarily someone like James or a family, but just someone, yeah, you could speak to and get all these things out. Um, out. Yeah. At what point were you able to, um, you you were able to let go of some of the things that, to to let go of this? Yeah. I can't even put it into words. Um, to let go of this tragedy that had. Yeah. Happened in your life. Not uh, let go of that, but let yeah. go of the the anger, yeah. maybe. Uh, I think, like, when you go through something like we went through, um, you have to find a silver lining. Yeah. And for me, my dad loved people. Um, he loved to get to know people. He loved to care for people. And I think if, there, if he could leave a legacy behind of anything, I think it would be that uh, he would want people to to see god and what he had to go through mm. um and so that's why i talk about it i suppose um because if it wasn't for god there is no way that any one of us would be standing i think mm. it's the truth um i just got to a point i had a really small baby and two toddlers um i woke up one morning and i just couldn't get out of bed and i remember hearing people say that before Mm. And this is to my shame. I I had always known what what depression was. I always um, felt some element of it before in my life, in quite strong ways, but never to the extent of this before. Um, and I always used to think when people said, oh, "I can't get up," or "I can't do," I used to think, "No, you can. Come on, you just have to try." And I'm so ashamed of that now because in that moment there was nothing I could do. My body had completely given up. Mm. Um, and I remember praying and saying to God, I'm so done with the pain of living. Um, and I, I said, to, I said, um, I just want to be in heaven. I just want to be done. Mm. Um, and uh, in those moments, <clears throat> even though I was so cross with God, yeah, even though I pushed him away for, for like, two years at this point mm -hmm. he was so present in those in that darkness um but 
I, I got to a point with some, some people when they're in depression, some people when they feel like they want to take their life, um, it's a call for help. Well, for me, I'd got past that point and it was an intention mm-hmm. and it was a plan. And uh, I was at a point when no one was going to stand in my way. And even God, I, w- I told God, I'm done. I'm checking out. I've given you two years to take me home and you haven't done it. So I am. Um, and looking back now, it's very hard to sort of understand that my mind had got me to that point. I had three wonderful children and a husband who loved me. But my brain had convinced me that if I loved anybody at all, the best thing I could do for them was to remove myself from that situation uh, because it was just too hard. Um, So, yeah, um, around... uh, I'm trying to think really now in terms of months of when it was. um, But I think it was maybe January or February time of the year after I'd had my third child um, uh, I made a plan and uh, felt that I had made a pretty good plan um, to the point where I I wouldn't that nobody would be able to stop me from going through with it Um, I took um, a really large overdose um, and I don't really know how this sounds really but I was looking forward to the release um, and obviously I'm sitting here today so I wasn't successful um, and I remember I remember my mum and James coming back to the house and then I remember nothing until three days later when I woke up in the hospital and I remember waking up and looking at the scene and, and being angry that hadn't worked mm-hmm. um, and I remember saying, God, I told you I was coming home. In that moment, I very clearly felt um, God say, no. Um, No, it wasn't your time. Um, And yeah, I I then remember James and my mum coming to visit me and realising what my choices had done to them and seeing that. And even though at that point I didn't believe it because my brain had was so power, had become so powerful in the depression to have me convinced of all sorts of things. Um, I saw the pain I had caused other people and I didn't like it. And I remember saying to mum and James, I, and, and to the kids, obviously they wouldn't have understood at that point, mm. but, um, saying, okay, I'll do, I'll give everything I can to get better. Um, because you don't deserve this. Uh, so I then went into a hospital for four months um, where I had like the most intense period of, of counselling and help externally, um, help with medication. Um, and I had four months to breathe um, mm-hmm. where I really questioned God and where he was Um and when I speak about this, I think, who do I think I am? Like, this little girl who was born in Colchestone goes to the God of the whole creation, the whole world, and says, what have you been playing at? Like, I feel like, who am I to say that? And yet God was so patient with me still. And he did everything to slowly win me back. Um, 
and uh, what a privilege that is, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's now been caught, uh, seven years since I lost my dad. Um, and God has worked so powerfully in our lives and so powerfully in the healing of of making it so that, for me, that I want to get up every morning. Um, he's provided me with four incredible children mm. um, and, and a great husband and, and a life that I couldn't possibly imagine wanting to miss out on. Um, is... Uh, do I still miss my dad? Absolutely. Do I understand everything that happened? No. Um, but what I do get now is that in every moment that this broken world brings to us that are really hard, uh, God steps down into it mm. and walks with us. And and now, n- now depression will always probably be something in my life. And I will always have the experiences that I had. But now I hope that with what we have gone through as a family, what I've gone through, that God might be able to show other people just how great his love is Mm. um, and how little we have to do um, to get it and to achieve it. Mm. One last question I'd like to ask. How uh, much importance do you put on speaking about um, the things that you've been through and speaking about yeah. your feelings and uh, mental health yeah. how much importance do you place on counselling um, yeah. when people go through situations which they have no control over and yeah. no say in and have all this pent up frustration and anger and so so many mixed feelings of emotions how much importance do you place we on have that? very we don't have very many years on this in this world mm-hmm. and to live them suffering unnecessarily is so is so desperately sad mm-hmm. um god promises us that things are going to be really tough and he says i will be with you but they will be tough you live in a broken world where thing sin creates spaces where life is difficult mm-hmm. um but he gives us tools it gives people the gift to help Mm -hmm. in that situation and i think that we need to learn to be really open open and honest Mm -hmm. about it because why on earth would we struggle in silence when so many other people have the same shared experiences as as us and we can come together and support each other and, Mm -hmm. and share with each other the experiences we have and how god has helped us um there is nothing more isolating and lonely um and hard than the pits of depression and i think if we in any way can relieve that in somebody else or we can find help while we're in that moment do it Mm -hmm. because life is too short and too painful to do it alone Mm. so katie thank you for coming on to the podcast and being so open and talking about uh, how god has 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 helped you in really difficult uh, circumstances uh, and just being really open uh, with all the things that have that have gone on in your life. Um, if you've listened to this podcast and you've enjoyed it, uh, then please give it a like, please give it a rating, pass it on to people, uh, go out and share this podcast to people. If you're watching this on YouTube for the people who are watching it rather than listening, uh, then subscribe, give it a like uh, and give it a comment. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you.